Hello and welcome to Reader Mackay's podcast. Today we're discussing the New World Health Agenda with Dr. Mark Parrish, a Regional Medical Director from International SOS. Hi Mark, thank you for joining us today. Hi Lindsay. So COVID-19 is a global pandemic, so for business travellers the overwhelming likelihood is they're travelling from and probably to an area that is infected. Yet despite the fact that the virus is the same everywhere. Each country has a different set of rules in place to protect against the spread. So what does this mean for those who are looking to travel? It means that if you're looking to travel, you need to be jolly well aware of what the countries that you are going to are asking for to make sure you can get into those countries. If we just look at this, let's say from two perspectives, one from the perspective of COVID uh, as a disease and the virus, and then the other from separate countries, that's quite a nice way to separate it. So from the disease itself, we know quite a lot about COVID, we're learning more about it all the time. Um, and it doesn't really change around the world, it tends to work in the same way is the reason that different countries have different COVID case numbers and deaths is to some extent unknown to us. To the other extent, it's based upon the amount and the efficacy of the controls they've put in place to manage the outbreak in their country. And if you look at the four controls, which I think are agreed by everybody as being the ones that are the most valuable in controlling COVID, it is early lockdown. Um, it is lots and lots and lots of testing as, as much as you can possibly do. It is maniacal contact tracing linked to that testing and then it's social distancing for as you sort of release that lockdown those are the four things that uh, any country would say works well when it comes to travel okay so we have to be aware of those and certainly the social distancing and maybe wearing a mask that we can talk about that a bit later but for countries as each different country opens itself up um, and allows travel they are doing this in very different ways and they're doing it internally, depending and making different decisions on what bits of their economy they are opening up. And very often that is linked to social and cultural things rather than anything else to do with the virus. So, you know, here in the UK, we opened up our garden centers quite early because garden centers are things that we like. In other parts like Italy, they open up their cafes first. So there's a bit of you know, cultural, social things. But then there is these other border restrictions and screenings. Um, and if I now look at it around the world, just from a couple of chats today with others, you know, if you're going to Kazakhstan, you need a certificate that you had a negative COVID test within five days. Austria, it's got to be valid for four days. Cyprus, got to be valid for three days. Uh, Malaysia, got to be valid for two days. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of difference there. And of course, in other countries, when you arrive, you're going to face a period of quarantine no matter what you do. You know, I'm an Aussie. At some stage, I want to get back home for Christmas, I'm hoping. But at the moment, if I go back home to Australia, I know I'm going to be in a hotel room for the two weeks on arrival. I won't be able to get out of that hotel room. I won't be able to get any fresh air. I won't be able to get any exercise. I'm in that hotel room for two weeks quarantine. Food will be brought to me. At the end of the two weeks, I'm let out. Now, if you're a business traveler, you've got to sort of take all those things into account, along with a few other things, before you decide, OK, I want to travel. Yeah. I, I suppose one of the other things that comes up a lot at the moment is that we've we've seen in our own countries the impact that COVID-19 has had on the healthcare that is available um, and the, the risk 
when you hit the peak that it's not available. So to what degree do businesses who are considering traveling need to be thinking about the knock-on effect of the virus on the local infrastructure of the destinations they're going to? Oh, a lot. Um, and I think there's a very valid point, Lindsay, because what we have seen in many parts of the world is that local healthcare systems have been really struggling to deal with COVID to the extent that therefore they have been even less able uh, to deal with other stuff. So think of you know countries, particularly in let's say the more developing part of the world, where uh, your other healthcare conditions, you, we're really struggling sometimes to find uh, appropriate levels of care for those things. Because let's not forget that you know, heart attacks, strokes, cancers, all of the other healthcare issues that we face, they haven't stopped while COVID has progressed. They've kept going. So whereas, you know, we would see in the past, it would be fairly straightforward for us to arrange other types of medical care in countries uh, and get care provided locally or maybe locally after some sort of travel, those healthcare systems are less able to do that. Then we are looking at trying to get people maybe a further distance either within the country or out of the country. And then we are facing challenges of a lack of aircraft to do that lack of commercial aircraft because there are simply less flights going and even a, a more difficulty in finding an air ambulance and then when you found the air ambulance or the commercial flight that you want to get the individual on you then have a lot more preparation with getting the country's healthcare system sometimes to agree to let an individual leave. More importantly, sometimes trying to get the receiving country's healthcare system accept a patient from another country where their concern is COVID as well as other things. The other point that we should be well aware of is that this impact on healthcare systems in, in many countries is not just the immediate impact of it's going to be harder to have your heart attack dealt with or your stroke dealt with, but it's the longer term impact. It's in, particularly in many African countries, it's having a knock-on effect to all of their public health programs, their HIV, their TB programs, their standard vaccination programs, their malaria programs. So I think what we'll see in the next few years is a potential increase in all of those diseases. And so as a traveler now, and certainly a traveler for the future, we need to be absolutely sure of where we're going, what the health risk is there, what the security risk is there, because in some countries we've seen security things secondary to COVID. And then are you as an individual fit and healthy to go there? Fit and healthy in all respects. Uh, yeah. Because it's so easy, to, isn't it? Just to, well, it has been so easy until relatively recently, just to jump on the website, book the flight, say, I'm fine, I'm bomb proof, and off you go to a remote part of the world. Absolutely, which you know brings you to I think testing, um, you know, knowing that you're healthy in general, absolutely, but knowing whether or not you have COVID nineteen, and there has been a huge amount of discussion and and debate over testing. Yeah. Do you see that playing a part in business travel moving forwards? Yes, I do. I think it will, and I think it will come in the next month or two. So, as a knock on from as I described earlier, those countries asking for a certificate of COVID negativity, put it that way. That means that you've had the virus tested, you know, the swab you have down your throat. That's, I mean, that test is fine for the point and time in which you have the test taken to a certain extent. But once you've moved around and met other people, it's, it's useless. So this certificate has a, a limited validity. And let's remember that that virus test at the best has a 30% false negative ratio. What we're looking at in the future and what will be interesting to see, I think we'll get a better clarity on that in the next few weeks, is this antibody testing where we can measure 
our body's response to COVID and we can measure the antibodies that we build up against them. We're still not too sure how long those antibodies last in our system. We're not sure if everybody has the same sort of antibody response. We're not completely sure about a few things, but I think we'll get a better idea of that. And then I think we'll see this fact that, that where we're asking individuals or we're looking at people, uh, not maybe just to have a virus test, and we're certainly seeing little machines that will start to be able to do virus testing very quickly, but to have an antibody test for the antibodies and then accepting that if you've got antibodies, then you are immune to COVID. Certainly if you're Norwegian and you've had COVID, the Norwegians are saying you are immune for six months. Uh, that, that's what they're assuming. So I think we'll see that. And that may factor into something like an immunity, a COVID immunity passport or something like that, that we'll probably see coming out in, in the next few weeks and months. Okay. I think the the other protective measure that's spoken about a lot is the temperature screening that uh, some airlines and, and airports have been looking at. Do you do you think that is effective? Um, no and yes. Poor answer. But, but okay. I, <laughs> the, the science of temperature screening is pretty iffy at the best. We're doing quite a lot of temperature screening around the world for many organizations. Um, and if I think of a couple of examples, we've done 35,000 uh, temperature screens now, I think, for, for people going offshore uh, in the North Sea. We've picked up, I think, 60 or people with high temperatures. Anecdotally, um, single figures of those may or may not have COVID. It's anecdotal because we lose the individual when we turn them back from the screening process. They go into the, their own healthcare system. Paris, Charles de Gaulle Airport, we, we do some work there. You know, 23,000 screenings done, uh, you know, three people with high temperatures, none of those COVID. So it's pretty, the, the science is pretty poor. It's not a great thing. But what it does do is it reinforces the message to people that, hang on, don't forget there's COVID out there. You need to be aware of it. And certainly we've seen that happening in a number of workplaces where we've instigated temperature screening because they've had some challenges with COVID and it has helped them decrease COVID numbers because simply people just suddenly think, oh, yeah, yeah, fine. Okay, I need to remember this. I need to you know, wash my hands. I need to do all those other hygiene things. And I don't need to go to work if I've got a temperature, if I'm not feeling very well. That will probably flow on into the travel system. We're doing some temperature screening for, for some airlines at airports at the moment. I, th I think that will continue. Yeah. I mean, one thing with, with traveling by plane that I found quite reassuring is the strength of the ventilation systems on the aircraft. Mm. I think I read this morning that um, air in the cabin is completely renewed every two to three minutes, mm. which is more than an office, even more than a, a hospital. Mm. To what degree does that reduce the risk? Oh, quite a lot. We looked at this recently, Lindsay, we were just doing some work for, for um, one of our clients. And we felt that, uh, you know, the risk of being on a plane of contracting COVID is, is, is no more than if you are outside, you know, at, at home or wherever you are. Because absolutely, as you say, aircraft ventilation system is very good. They've got very good filtration and the filters are fine enough to filter out COVID. And when you look at the research that's done on these filtration systems and, and you know how far virus diseases may spread on a plane. Mm -hmm. It's really only a row or two backwards and forwards from an individual that may have a disease, whether it be COVID or not. Now we're seeing airlines asking passengers to wear masks. So that will decrease 
the likelihood of it on the plane. We're seeing airports and airlines putting in other screening things like temperature screening and maybe a questionnaire. You add all those up, you're decreasing that likelihood of, of COVID on a plane. So I think if you put all those together, the, the, the risk on a plane is pretty low. Yeah. I think the a large part of this is education mm. and it's awareness. Um, and many businesses right now are, are operating from home. And it's mm. not wholly unlikely that some people are going to be traveling for business long before they actually get back into a normal office environment, mm. potentially. Mm. What's your, your advice to companies who are going to start traveling for business and need to educate their people, but do it remotely. Yeah, absolutely. And you're absolutely right about the offices. We're seeing lots of organizations that we work with who've decided not to open their offices until the new year, Um, although they will keep some of it open because, look, not all of us are able to work remotely all the time and and need the office space. But we can make that office pretty COVID risk-free free not completely but you never decrease the risk to zero but you can bring it down it's the travel to and from uh, which is where the risk is and so similarly if you link that forward to travelers you know how do you make sure that you make sure your travelers are okay and what we have seen the organizations that do this really well is essentially Lindsay they have they have two things um, they have a really good plan which is a very flexible plan and can adapt to what's happening with COVID and then what's happening, let's say, with COVID in different countries around the world, so you can be aware of all of that. And then the second thing is communication. And those companies that do this really well have really got their communication with their employees sorted out. And that's how they're going to help travelers. And that communication itself fits into two different areas. It's accurate up-to-date information about COVID, stuff from reputable, reliable sources, which I'm saying, you know, WHO, CDC, your local country's healthcare system, go to our website. Even if you're not a member or have a subscription with us, there's a bunch of stuff on our website, which is free to access. And and we pull that all down from those places. Not from your social media channel. 5,000 likes, about an article that says that garlic is great for treating COVID-19 is not scientific research. But, but we're influenced by that stuff, aren't we? And, so we th- and, and that's it. So that's the key thing. First of all, get those facts in. And then the second part of this communication is you link those facts to what your company is doing about COVID, about travel. And you make sure that your employees are updated about this all the time. And that message comes from high up. CEO, C-suite, whoever it is, it's a regular message, it's updated, it's offering people feedback, it's offering mental health support. That's where it's going to work really well. And that's where we've seen it working really well in many organizations. Okay. We're coming to the end um, of today's podcast, but I, I just want to get this one in there because it's it's so important. Risk has been an accepted part of travel for a really long time. Um, and risk ratings are a key part of how we how we manage that for travellers, how we assess whether someone should or shouldn't be going somewhere. How do you see the management of those ratings changing moving forward? Lindsay, you're you're singing my tune here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, look, I'm 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 a doctor. I have a medical influence. I have a medical interest yeah. in all of this. And in the past, I've spent a lot of time talking to organizations saying, guys, remember healthcare risk. And many organizations say, no, no, we're just worried about a terrorist attack. A terrorist attack mm-hmm. likelihood in most businesses is minute compared to healthcare risk. But organizations haven't done that. And many of them have not included healthcare risks in their planning. They'll do that. And as part of that, 
they'll start looking more for healthcare issues and looking more at, let's say, COVID-related and other healthcare issues. And we're about to bring out a, a COVID impact scale scoring where we will factor in the COVID impact on medical and security things across all countries in the world and every single state in the US, which businesses can use to factor into their risk planning for travel there. And I, I hope they continue doing that. And we don't go back to this, I think, over-focus on security issues. Yeah, okay, that's that's great to know that it's it's coming. And that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Um, so a big thank you to our listeners, to International SOS and to you, Mark, for joining Great us. Great pleasure, Lindsay.